Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Good morning, afternoon, evening on this fine Saturday, depending on when this comes out and you get a chance to listen to it on this this fine, fine day. I am your host for this week's Saturday Draft Live, Scott McLeod. I'll first say, fuck you, Jack Graham. We're neglecting your responsibilities to be here today just because you can't tell the times on your fucking weird Airshare train schedules because you live out in the middle of nowhere where the Wi-Fi runs on wind. But... <laughs> But I am here to bring you the scores, the fallout from my event, and thankfully not have to talk about more points for a pay-per-view this weekend because we've got three weeks until money in, until because we've got three weeks until SummerSlam and no pay-per-views in between. We've got a couple of big dynamites and stuff like that, but thankfully we get a break from the pay-per-views. A man who will not neglect his responsibilities, a man that has been on Central for three weeks in a row, and. Ross has not told me crying, begging for someone else to come on Central yet. Uh, he is a resident Listeners League stats man. He is David Hockney. I tell you what, Scott, after all this, I have definitely earned my holiday at the end of end of this month. Like I have single-handedly been carrying the podcast on my shoulders this week. You know, I've been doing, like you said, Central for three weeks. I've been recording feature shows and now... I've been brought in to do what Jack Graham simply couldn't do. Instead, he's off, you know, making some sweet, sweet love to some some poor chickens. And uh, yeah, he's he's left me to pick up the slack. <laughs> yeah, I know, you know, getting on your back's a bit strong. I mean, you've been talking regularly into a microphone. I mean, Jesus, you must be knackered. I am knackered, like, and there's no two ways about it, but. All that's getting me going forward is, is that in two weeks' time, I will be on a boat sipping cocktails in the middle of the Adriatic Sea. And I look forward to you going on your holiday, Dave. Mainly so you won't keep reminding us that you have a holiday booked. Mm-hmm. Anyway, to the to the scores. Uh, Jack Graham's not only not here, but thankfully this is a week where, yeah, he's still got his gap, thanks to you know, the Usos retaining at Money in the Bank and them winning a match last night against Los Lotharios. So he's kept his gap everything, but you know the people underneath Jack have been really, really doing well this past week. Especially Chris and Lopez, as we'll get into. Now Jack's picks are in the top three of the week, and doesn't that make a fucking change? <laughs> I don't have to try and change the subject whenever Tony Giovanni or the Usos bloody pop up. But anyway, talking about uh, Chris and Lopez, it's Captain Braun Breaker. With a big title defense, you know, in five, I believe, appearances across NXT 2.0's Great American Bash this week, is on 17 points in third position here. Uh, NXT was a big night for for those who had NXT picks. You know, yeah, it did pick up win uh, some points, extra points there with uh, Carmelo Hayes getting another title defense there. But Cristiano Lopez with this win, uh, Braun Breaker now cracked 100 points. He's on 101 overall this season, the second overall. The second overall best pick of the season behind Tony Schiavone. Yeah, and he's also overtaken Bianca Belair, who, as we've discussed previously, you know she's been the the anchor of the women's division throughout WWE. So 
You can tell Chris definitely made a wise investment in Braun Breaker, you know, getting not only regular NXT title defenses, but also with the benefit of having the captaincy on him. It's, it's just one of those instances where, you know, the champion, the main champion of a brand is actually out there and defending the title the same way, you know, like the TNT champion or the US Open Challenge was going forward, you know, making sure we get regular title matches on the go. And it's starting to roost for, for Chris Anthony Lopez here. Absolutely. Also, the captaincy does help because I think if you want a guaranteed regular point score for someone on NXT, like the current version, someone like a Braun Baker or Colin Marlowe, he's getting your getting them and then getting your captaincy on them is a surefire way of, of doing it. We'll come back to Bianca Belair in a little bit, but on 25 points overall, on 25 points this week, and now she's cracked into the top 10 at 47 points overall. I picked through a couple of seasons ago. We were taking the piss out of. We were saying, "Oh, who's who's going to be a better or worse pick, her or Alexa Bliss?" <laughs> now she's your SmackDown Women's Champion, so put some respect on that woman's name. It's Liv Morgan. Yeah, damn right. Like, I mean, she is a former draft winner, Liv Morgan, as well, having won on me and Gary's team in the most recent tag team season. But now look at her. You know, she's um, starting to make waves as a as a solo performer finally. You know, always came up short with the women's title. We almost sort of gave up on her. But then Money in the Bank comes around and everything changes on a whim. It's it's a massive scoring for, again, for Chris's team. And the cashing in on the same night as well, as well as winning the Money in the Bank contract, that's basically the equivalent of two title match wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention she also got a tag team with, with uh, on Raw as well. Yeah, her team with Bianca, and she was on... SmackDown this week, she had a little segment with uh, Natalia and Ronda Rousey, which was set up the uh, the rematch, Natalia, uh, the rematch of Ronda and Liv Morgan at SummerSlam. So let's see, can she hold off the season uh, as champion? Uh, I think if she does walk out of you know SummerSlam SmackDown Women's Champion, I think I think for the first time since we've been doing it, Liv Morgan suddenly becomes a very viable first round option. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I would say so, depending on, you know, how many people are in the draft. I think she's guaranteed to be at least second round pick. But first round, I think, would be a little bit bold. But then again, I wouldn't necessarily go against it, assuming they know what they're doing with their with Liv's long-term booking. Yeah, because, like, if she can get past Ronda and then maybe she's got people like Natalia or Lacey Evans and you never know when Charlotte is going to go back. So she's got competition that she can defend against on SmackDown. I think especially if you're at the latter stages of the selection process with the snake draft, getting live in there in first second round would be a pretty much a coup when we look back on it later in the season. Uh, I should also mm-hmm. point out that Chris Andy Lopez has been doing well. Liv Morgan, I almost forgot, is on his team. So he's got two people in the top three of the week, both thanks to championship you know, wins. So a great week for Chris Andy Lopez. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Overall, he just beaten Liv Morgan by 1.26 points. Number three in the season overall, 99 points. Give it a week, she'll be one of only three people to crack 100 or more points this season. Only when she, when so far, only two people on triple digits, but she'll be there soon. Uh, as my captain, Bianca Belair, you know, I was uncertain when she got put against Rhea Ripley initially for main event. Then Carmella got put, and everybody was like, oh, this is so, so obvious Bianca's going to win. And I was like, yay, it's obvious Bianca's going to win. Captaincy Championship points on pay-per-view. And then she won that tag team match on 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 Raw with, alongside Liv Morgan. And I don't know what's going to happen at 
SummerSlam, but I'd like to think she'd be on the card. So I'm hoping Bianca Belair, she's been the linchpin of my team, that she can end the season on a high. Okay, you know what? It's the captaincy that did the difference for her this week. You know, successfully defending against Carmella. I don't think there was any doubt about her retention there. But as we said previously, you know, she's heavily featured on Raw and she's going to likely have a big program going into SummerSlam. So this could be a much needed, you know, last pay-per-view boost for you over the over with just three weeks to go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's definitely, you know, I mean, this was a good week for me overall because I had this. I had the Creed Brothers retaining the tag team titles mm-hmm. on NXT Great American Bash. And I had Roxanne Perez alongside Cora Jade winning the NXT Women's Tag Team Championship. Mm-hmm. Yep. was a big thing this week. Title uh, changes so, all around, yeah. Also, yeah. I'd like to give a special mention to Stephen's captain, Wardlow, who won the, the TNT Championship this week. And guess how many points he's on now? 69. Nice. Uh, I, saw, I saw that because that also automatically makes Wardlow the best uh, newcomer so By far. By quite a bit as well. Yeah. Because uh, I think I'd overtaken Stephen at one point uh, early in the week because of my good run, and then also I think Wardlow's thing, Wardlow winning the T T title helped take take him back over me, and then I think he and I are round about near the same score. We'll, we'll cover that when we get to the top. Uh, we'll cover that when we get to leave board. But also mention Cora Jade also on Chris Anthony Lopez's team. Jesus, championship wins all around for Chris Anthony Lopez. Mm. You know, for those. He would have gotten away with winning this season too if it wasn't for those pesky usos. <laughs> you know who had an interesting week before we get to the leaderboard as well? But uh, Gary Kirsten, not only did he lose points when Toxic Attraction lost the uh, women's side titles, but he had Austin Theory versus Bobby Lashley. Theory, I believe, still is captain. Yep. So Theory loses to Lashley in a youth tail match, so he kind of didn't gain as many points as he probably should have. Obviously, Becky didn't win the money in the bank. But then later on in the night, Theory comes out and wins money in the bank and then appears across Raw and SmackDown and is going to be in a US title rematch at SummerSlam. So, you know, an interesting time to have, you know, Theory on uh, on your team. Oh, definitely, yeah. What do you think this puts Theory in terms of, you know, priority for picking him uh, in the seasons to come? Because you never know when that money in the bank will be cashed in. Well, he was a first-round pick this season. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a first-round pick yet again, especially now that he has the golden ticket in the form of the Money in the Bank briefcase. Yeah, it is a very interesting situation for him to have. Uh, my, I, I figured he'd be a Money in the Bank winner, and this would be his path to the, to the Universal Order League Championship at one point. He's never thought he'd do it while Roman Reigns was still champion, because the idea of, of Theory cashing in successfully over Roman Reigns is just not something I can I can see. Nah, it just doesn't seem realistic. But I did say to Ross on Central, I did do a bit of fantasy booking for Clash at the Castle and onwards. You know, say if Drew beats Roman, Theory cashes in, the place your UK audience goes batshit crazy. Uh, you know, the most heelish thing you could have done in the UK. And then they get a program with Theory and Drew. Could be, could be very interesting. If you wanted to see a riot in Cardiff, then hmm. there's your way to do it. So let's go to the leaderboards, you know, talk about things not being realistic. Adam Kelly doing anything competent in this draft is not very realistic as he remains in last place. You know, spend less time reporting on that crappy authors of pain, so more time making better picks there, Adam, with how much wood could Braun Breaker break. Braun Breaker could break wood on 128 points. David, sadly, your 
Only a little bit better than your 148 points with the West End Country Club, 148, as I said. Uh, Ross, on seventh position, 151 and a half points with what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man, what a mighty good shh. There's some, there's some money, McMahon. Uh, wow. Too soon. I mean, technically it happened years ago, but, you know. Uh, Doesn't does does make it right, though. <laughs> I know it's not right, but you know he's got McMahon in his in his name, so for God's sake. Like we told we told him to take it out, but he he says no. <laughs> anyway, Brian, just remember, Dave, joke about a horrible thing, not the same as the horrible thing. Brian Dalglish, seven <laughs> points. The uh, people's representatives or whatever I can I can never can't be arsed with his team name. Uh, Steve Wilson, Bell Cell Nightmares is tied with myself. The first picks of Bel Air on two hundred and eighteen points. You know. I think I only cracked the 200 mark this past Sunday when Bianco won, so I'm happy to be amongst the 200s here. Gary Kernahan, I think, thanks to theories, Money in the Bank win, is keeping on to that third position on 238 and a half points, you know, with King Mabel's court. Chris Anthony Lopez with Homeboy and the Heartbreakers doing well, 265 points. You know, the gap was a bit tighter the early week, but Jack is still pulling out ahead. With Banner International Families, 291 and a half points. But interestingly enough, you know, the Usos were hinted at by in an interview that when they face the street profits again, there could be a special guest referee. So, is this maybe be them laying the groundwork? Could at SummerSlam the end of the Usos' titanic run upon this season come to an end? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, they have teased the profit splitting up and Montez possibly going doing a singles run. Hmm. And Angela Dogs was even on Debbie. He's like, no, podcast was about Corey Graves basically talking about he doesn't play second fiddle to anybody. He made a point of mentioning that. So, you know, I don't know. You know, for the three of you who actually listened to Corey Graves after the Bell podcast. But, you know, those people are probably the same number of people who are interested in this next segment. David Dockley, it's your favourite part of the week when you happen to be on. Please give us the listen leak who are always. And uh, in triple digits because again they put very little effort into their pictures. Uh, that one, that one, on you go. Well, money, well, money in the bank certainly shook things up a little bit. You know, someone who's been pretty prominent in the top five uh, for most of the season, Lee McAteer, living on a chair by Lana Austin, has now dropped out of the top five, and we have had a bit of a shakeup. So. Fifth place this week, Bertie Wanless, Heroes of Last Place, doing a terrible job uh, if his name is anything to go by, sitting on 291 points so far. And Bertie is obviously reaped the benefits of the Usos and Bianca Belair on his team, primarily with the Usos in particular getting a successful title defence. Although his captain is Jade Cargill, which I mean is quite good, you know, in terms of, you know, regular TBS title defences, but she's been a bit quiet in the last few weeks. So maybe that's what's preventing them from getting to the, the top of the board here. Fourth place, we have Martin Best with a bit more progress, and he's certainly making a lot of progress here moving up the table on 294 points. Now, for Martin, his team captain is Bianca Belair. He also has uh, Bobby Lashley on his team, who won the US title at Money in the Bank, so two massive wins there, nudging him into the top five. And then next we have everybody's favourite. It's Robert fucking Shaw and the Draft Bastards, cracking the 300-point mark on 300 and a half points this week and he tied with Ta- Dan Axel Jameson in the number of points scored this week both scoring 36 points so it's been a very very good week for for Robert fucking Shaw 
largely because of his captain, Tony Schiavone, as we know, the biggest scorer of the season and a successful undisputed tag title defense from the Usos. So definitely some great, uh, great results there. Next, sec- forever second place in the Listeners League, it's JP with Hello Is Your Daughter There, Requiem, Requiem, uh, 346 points, quite a bit of a, quite a bit of a leap up there. Uh, successful title defense for the Usos, his captains, and uh, appearances from Tony Schiavone as well, that's what's uh, keeping him up top. But though, a title defense for Ronda Rousey at Money in the Bank only to then lose it, it's kind of sort of just cancelled itself out a little bit there, so that's, I think, what's held him back. But only five points ahead of him, this is where it gets interesting is Dan Axel Jameson in the old age in-laws on 351 points. Tony Schiavone in the Usos again, capping off what's been a very good week. But the difference that makes him stand out is that his fifth round pick is Wardlow. And as we discussed, he won the TNT Championship this week. So I think that's the difference between him and JP at this stage. But JP does still have a a shot at becoming the first ever two-time Listeners League winner. But, you know, Dan Axel Jameson, if he can get that momentum going... You know, being a top scorer this week, I don't think there's any reason to suspect, you know, why he couldn't be a, a we couldn't get to see another first time winner. Ah, uh, JP. Second place in the league, second place in life. <laughs> uh, and then there's Dan, who I don't know, but, you know, I'm sure you'll make similar mistakes when you get called up next season, if you do, in fact, win. Funny, fun fact about Robert fucking Shaw. We've, I got to meet Robert fucking Shaw about a month ago at Stevens Homestead. I didn't recognise him at first. I was already a bit busy. He came up and started talking to me. Yeah, you were you were busy spewing in the garden. <laughs> Before that, and screw you. <laughs> After that, I was out in the worst state of the people I was with by the end of that night. But anyway, yeah, at least I wasn't drunk, too drunk that they wouldn't let me do karaoke, unlike some people. <laughs> but that's too much of an insight into, you know, that stag. But he started, he started talking to me, and I didn't know who he was. And he literally introduced himself as Robert fucking Shaw, just so I would know who he was. And like, Robert fucking Shaw. Everybody knows who he is, Robert fucking Shaw. And the only thing is, I think, I think David Campbell started the whole Robert fucking Shaw. I think he'd already left before Robert Shaw arrived. Oh, did he? I don't know. He's he's always leaving early. Is that, is that David Campbell? Anyway, enough about Robert fucking Shaw. Uh, people who don't look, host this show anymore. Uh, we're going to... It's going to be a short show this week, but I want to bring up a couple of points before we go. I had a couple of picks that I wanted to get David's opinion on and wonder if they're really even worth drafting next season. First one, we've briefly discussed it before the show, is Roman Reigns, because obviously mm. there's all the question, like, is this space set up for the big Drew and he'll feel good win? But then he's also now expected to be at Extreme Rules, which is the next pay-per-view, which would be sometime in October. Uh, you got to imagine, obviously... After that, there's a Saudi pay-per-view and then a Survivor Series. So he's got to be, probably be on those two shows, but it won't be on Extreme Rules. You don't know how many pay-per-view, we don't know how many Raws and Smackdowns he'll be on. Because like, he was on last night's Smackdown, and I think there's only two or three other TVs across Raw and Smackdown that he's actually scheduled for and lead up to his last man standing match at SummerSlam. So tag team with Heyman or just on his own, is Roman Reigns worth drafting next season? Probably not. I mean, if he's not going to show up, you know, there's no point drafting him in a tag team or as a singles competitor, you know, despite being the undisputed champion, given that he's now partially transitioned into a, a part-time schedule now. It's um, it's not worth the investment, even if he's only just going to show up for one big match at every sort of major pay-per-view. I mean, it does get you points, but it, there's no point wasting a, 
a captaincy or whatever, you know, just try to grab the big points wherever you can. Even if at the very worst you could do is probably do a fifth round pick, you know, like some of the guys have done with um, in the past, you know, they picked Bailey who scored Mm -hmm. a big fat knot like Ross has done so far. And, um, but yeah, it's just the the nature of the draft. Sometimes you just have to take a gamble on these things. Uh, but this is definitely not worth it if you know that Roman isn't going to show up. Yeah, it's weird. You think like when you draft the top champion of like a Brad or a Show, uh, this is, he's he's got both of the top championships at WWE, and yet he's not even near being like the top point scorer that you'd think he'd be. And that's that's kind of weird. So yeah, it'd be weird to not have him. And the draft it all next season, but yeah, I think somebody will probably try and take that gamble for the fifth round. I probably mm-hmm. would it. But if Roman is not going like be in the selection, you know, it'd be weird in the tag team round to not have him and Roman, him and Heyman, you know, as a, a pick because that's been a running thing for for as long as I can remember now in the draft. You know, but who do you think then overtakes Roman? Also, you'd have the top like champions and male champions in WWE usually be like the top two about draft picks. You take them out of contention. Does that mean like who do you think then like takes the top spot as the most like most valuable picks for the first round? I mean, it's got to be Big Tony, right? For uh, AEW, I mean, just look at Jack's scoring from having Tony Schiavone as his captain. Although, if Chris Anthony Lopez has anything to say about it, I think he's putting forward a petition to not include like announcers or commentators as selections in the draft which would definitely shake things up a bit. So assuming that does happen, I think the next best option would either be Bron Breaker or Bianca Belair. And if I was to just have a, add a third option, maybe Drew mm-hmm. can rebound and score big again if he's in a world title program again. Yeah, it would depend if he's like... if It would depend if he does win at Clash of the Castle. How much mm-hmm. that would pay off? I think I would. Top- I would. I would bank on it. Actually, if I'm being honest, I think Drew's going to win it. You know, I'd, I'd say the top two women's champions. You know, we've seen a lot more value in women's picks in the first round the last few yeah. seasons. I think, and so I'd say Bianca and Liv would be up there in the first round, along with like your Braun Breakers and your Tony Schiavone's. You know, yeah. Tony Schiavone. I think Bianca has a little bit more priority over Liv, given past historical performance. I mean. Liv's only really just started to break out on her own, but there's no reason why, you know, people can't select her as a, a first-round pick this time around. I think it just depends, like, if you're in the middle or later part of the first-round selection process, and I think she's definitely something to look at, because if she can get past Ronda Rousey, then it means that they probably have big plans for her, or at least have a, a lot of faith in her as a SmackDown Women's Champion, so she can at least carry it for most, if not all, the whole next season as a champion. So See, I'm not entirely convinced that Liv's going to beat Ronda in a one-on-one scenario. I think worst-case scenario is Charlotte Flair comes back, makes it a triple threat, pins Liv, and then Ronda loses without taking the pin. I think that's worst-case scenario. But, yeah, but I agree with the point about uh, Braun Breaker and Toy Savani. Like, Braun is really standing head and shoulders above the, uh, the other entity, but it's the only person I think that comes close to him right now is uh, Carmelo Hayes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also Moxley is a singles pick now that he's the interim AEW champion. Also takes a, a big spot because uh, Punk won't be back for like All Out, so he'll probably have a successful defence at All Out on pay-per-view. And then there's all, 
the intrigue around maybe it will punk be back in time for like Phil Gear, which will also be included next season. So mm-hmm. Punk is the, the AEW world champion right now. It's also I think some take your eye out for in terms Aye. of like of course we all know the first round tag team pick, you know, has to be of course Marseille and Mansoir when they <laughs> Rock the world of fashion and the SmackDown tag team division next week. Yeah, either that or possibly, I don't know, the Vikings have had a bit of a resurgence, but I mean, where they're going with their heel program, it remains to be seen because they've only just felt more like a novelty act in these last few weeks. And somebody else I wanted to ask, is he worth uh, drafting given recent things that have been announced about him and the title that he holds? And that is your first ever All-Atlantic champion, Pat, because, yeah, you want to get somebody who will, you know, defend a title, get you championship points. But from what I've, we've been seeing recently, with the announcement they'll be get, facing Shota Umino at uh, Red Pro, with the match that they've also said is going to be featured on EW Dark. You know, they're going to get a, a, show you that match on Dark. And then also he's wrestling at OTT very soon for the title against LJ Cleary. Like LJ Cleary, that's a name I've not heard in a while. Many of uh, Pac's defenses seem like so far that they're going to occur outside of AEW, but then also be shown on AEW's YouTube shows, which aren't counted currently within the the draft because we got rid of Dark and Dark Elevation. So as good as he is having a champion, also I'm happy for Pac to have a title finally in AEW. With the frequency that he seems to be going outside of AEW with that belt, is Pac too risky of a pick? You know, compared to someone like a Wardlow with the TNT belt? Possibly, yeah, because, I mean, he sort of falls under the bracket of FTR a little bit because they're carrying three different championships and they're going to multiple promotions to defend each individual title. I'm wondering if Pac might be doing the, the same thing with the All-Atlantic Championship in the sense that it sort of acts as another sort of bridge between smaller independent promotions and it helps them out a little bit. So... Again, it's a new championship, so you don't you can't really say for certain if it's going to be defended all the time on AEW programming, whereas the TNT title is most likely your safer bet. And just look how well Wardlow's been scoring this week when he was a fifth-round pick from uh, Stevens' team. It's, um, yeah, I think the, the proof is right there. Although then again, Wardlow did score a massive amount of points from that 20-on-1 gauntlet match a few weeks back. So, I mean, the, the results yeah. can be a little bit skewed, but Wardlow has been scoring big and he seems to be breaking out on his own. So a TNT title run, I reckon, will definitely catch the attention of of drafters in the future. Yeah, looking well, at this All-Atlantic belt, uh, there's a new episode of East Week's West coming out tomorrow. And me and Grant do talk a fair bit about Forbidden Door and how that affected the Japanese side of the card. And I, I'm, we talked about the All-Atlantic match. And I said that the way it's been set up with, with Pac, you know, being from the UK and holding this little international belt for AEW, it's all like when British Bulldog was the first ever European champion back in the day. Because also at the time WWE was going more international, they wanted an international face to represent, you know, them with a the European belt. And I think that's what they're doing with Pac here, uh, with this belt. I I even maybe say that the US and IC belts would be better, like being picked over the Atlantic belt next season because, you know, Bobby Lashley is now the US champion, you know, which is quite interesting. I see him with the US delegate. He did a really good run when he was part of the Hurt Business with the US title. And also now Gunther is the Arcana champion. And he's seemingly using Kaiser 
as these, you know, if you can beat him, you, then you can earn your shot at me and Shinsuke Nakamura beat Kaiser this week, so potential match at SummerSlam, Nakamura versus Gunther, you know, sign me up for that one, and, you know, Gunther, oh, yeah. Gunther and Lashley seem like people who are getting good runs next season with those belts, and I want, and I, I like some other people on Twitter after Lashley won, he's won that match at Money in the Bank, want both of them to keep their belts till Survivor Series, because I know the whole brand v brand thing is played out, but come on, if it gives me Gunther versus Lashley, then I don't give a fuck. Oh, yeah. Like, for Survivor Series, that would be amazing. And I assume, given he holds both belts, Roman will come out and, yeah, fight, and him. fight himself. <laughs> He'll do a self, one person, you know, finger poke of doom on himself. <laughs> Although, does that, would that count as a win or loss or a draw if he pins himself? I don't know. Well, that's why I'd say don't, don't draft them, then we won't have to figure it out. I mean, it's one pin, one win, but I mean, you could rule it as a draw, I suppose. Uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see if someone picks them. That's for future SDL hosts to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So we don't have those kind of theatrics. But we should mention there are three weeks, there are three Saturdays between now and the end of the season, but we will not have an SDL next weekend as every, pretty much everybody... Uh, because most of us here at the SSR will be away next Saturday for Stephen Wilson's wedding, uh, which has finally happened after we've been delayed a year. It's going to happen next weekend before Laura finally changes her mind. Uh, <laughs> we'll be joining, celebrating, probably getting drunk. Who knows what will happen? So we'll be back in two weeks' time with the penultimate SDL season before then, the coverage right before the season finale at I... summer. And unfortunately, this is my last SDL of the season, unfortunately, because as because of said wedding and as previously mentioned holiday, I won't be around uh, to cover the the final the final week of the draft. What's close to the end? Because he's in second to last. He's going to drain his sorrows in some... <laughs> in some- <laughs> and you know what? Just because the work experience boy, Ryan Dalgleish, has actually done a half-decent job in keeping this, this show afloat, um... If he wants to cover the the last the last show of the season, then by all means he can go right ahead, and you and Jack, the three of you, can can do a, a grand job of it. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll figure it out before you. Well, I'm sure we'll figure it out while you're you're away. So yeah, you'll, you'll see me at some point in the next two weeks probably, and we'll probably hear from David Hockney again on this program probably around the time of the selection show for. Uh, for the next season, which is always, you know, I've always said it's always the highlight of every season. So it just goes downhill from there because then people start winning things and people mm-hmm. become unbearable. Yeah, especially and if you I... win more than once. <laughs> oh, yes, don't I know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, thank me too. You for, thank you all for joining us here on Saturday Draft Live. Uh, Hope you'll uh, you'll join us again in two weeks time, and in the meantime, go back in the back catalog with more a uh, hundred episodes of Saturday Draft Live in the back catalog with me and David Campbell host, and then me, Dave, David, and Jack, and then all four of us, and then the work it's been boy came in. It's been a roller coaster ride of episodes, and you've got over two hundred episodes of feature shows going back to twenty eighteen to check out all sorts of interesting topics being covered there. And you got ESR Central to mention a weekly roundup of the news, previews, reviews of all the big shows going on 
And of course, as I mentioned, East Meets West coming out tomorrow, our semi-regular show, looking at your Japanese wrestling. Uh, me and Grant look at again about Forbidden Door, you know, with the follow on the Japanese side. And we preview the brackets for this year's G1 Climax Tournament, the big tournament in the men's heavyweight division of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So thank you all for, for tuning in. And, you know, me and Chris Anthony Lopez may not have won the tag team season, but because Cordero's on his team and Rotemper is on my team, technically this week you can say that Mick Lopez won tag team gold. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Mick Lopez will always live on. Thank you, everybody. And, you know, two weeks' time, same draft time, same draft channel. <laughs>